Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. For this podcast, it's a pleasure to have Jen Wilcox with me. In the year 2000, Jen Wilcox commenced work with the department in a voluntary interpreter capacity to assist with the Australian delegation attending the World Firefighter Games in Paris. This introduction into the emergency services domain was a platform to pursue a lengthy career in various roles within the Fire and Rescue Service, Queensland Ambulance Service, the former Emergency Management Queensland and the Rural Fire Service. Jen leads three multifaceted and dynamic portfolios which include legal services, strategic systems which sets the organisation's digital agenda and QFES Futures which is instrumental in the design and development of the QFES Strategy 2030. This dynamic portfolio includes risk planning, analytics, research, innovation, levy management, information management and protective security functions for the department and any other problem that the department has. <laughs> I'll give and it my best. Ends up, ends up going to Jen. Jen has completed postgraduate studies and is a member of the Certified Practicing Accountants, otherwise known as CPA, Australia, and a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which is the also known as AICD. For many years, Jen has been actively involved in the non-for-profit sector, including a voluntary appointment to the Alliance Francaise de Brisbane Committee for a period 2005 to 2011. Jen, it's a pleasure to have you with me. And today we're going to talk about leadership brand or what brand your leadership may or may not have. What, why is that important to you? I'm going to be a bit cheeky. Thank yep, you for having sure. me, Andrew, because before I start and dive into to that, I think it's really important that I begin by giving you a compliment. Oh, It's a really important message. And it's one that I heard delivered at a leadership forum many years ago, but it's resonated with me ever since. So has anyone ever told you, Andrew, that your energy introduces you before you speak, when you enter a room? No, not directly, probably, but sometimes I feel like that. Yeah, and I share that with you in a really Mm. positive light. Because what I see is irrespective of the day or the meeting or the agenda, it's obvious that your instant and positive regard for for those in your presence is really evident. And I watch you treat everyone as an equal. And I guess that leads me to one of my favourite topics, which is brand. It's not what you know, it's not who you know, but it's how others describe your brand when you're not in the room. And it's very telling. And I truly believe that's where the truth lies. And I guess the question is, how does one build their own brand? And for me, it is that the actions speak louder than words. words. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And, but however, those actions must be authentic. People appreciate a genuine brand. We always talk about a great brand when we purchase something, but I think people need to rely on the brand. So as individuals, they need to rely on us particularly in our in our leadership realm. Just before we go any further, we use the word brand and there's a expression that comes to mind about how we get to choose as individuals our character. 
However, others get to choose what our reputation is. Does yeah. brand fit in there with reputation? I, I truly, I truly believe it does. And we certainly hear that with a product that we don't like very quickly, the reputation of that product diminishes or can evaporate. I'm trying to recall a quote that was one of my directors mentioned the other day, and it was about you only get one chance to make to a lose... first impression. Yes, yes, but you only get one chance to lose your reputation. Oh, or, yes, or just something important. like that. Yes, so, yes, yes. But for me, I find personally it can be actually the smallest of actions that actually have the biggest impact. So at the most basic level, it's simple eye contact. It's smiling when you first engage with someone. It's a friendly good morning. That is invaluable. And it sounds easy enough, but it actually doesn't come naturally to everyone. I can accredit that to my hospitality background. So as a young girl growing up in the hotel, motel and restaurant industries, I've lived in over four, uh, almost 40 locations. And of those, about 30 of them were hospitality specific. So it's actually in my DNA. I find that really healthy that you're able to describe why it is you think you are the way you are. Because I think there's a lot of leaders out there who might be able to do that because they don't understand. They understand who they are and what they are now, but maybe haven't explored why it is that they are, why they are, who they are. And that only dawned on me goodness gracious, it was only just a few years ago because everyone, I think I've got one of our colleagues that calls me Smiley Jen. I'm like, why am I so smiley? <laughs> why am I like this? And then it dawned on me that I grew up in a business and customer service is paramount. And in fact, my three favourite R's of customer service are recognition. Oh, good afternoon, Mr. Short. How are you? Yeah. You know, you've got your recommendation. So there's always options. Hospitality, it's what do you want the chicken or the fish sort of thing. But in the corporate world, we can do that too. And the third R is reassurance. And that as a leader is about being a good listener. So that point about reassurance, my perspective is my every day is filled with people, whether it be your team, teammates, your team, your peers, people looking for reassurance and looking to feel like they're okay and the situation's okay. Is that what you mean by that? True. And I think for me to provide reassurance I just did it actually before I came into this meeting now, I got a call and it was one of those rumour or trumour calls. So to dispel the trumour or dispel the rumour to say this is what the situation is, the storytelling component is really imperative to me. So what I do is I take a step back, take the person to sort of a point of origin, bring them back so we are both in the conversation at the same starting point to then help unfold whatever the rumour or trumour was, is or isn't, yeah. so that by the end of the conversation, there was a mutual understanding, there was clarity, and it's really imperative that leaving that conversation, elements of that don't get lost in translation because when I'm not in the room, there'll be other conversations being had. As leaders, we tend to be, sometimes we're put in a situation where we're playing catch up, where, where a, you know, um, a rumour has gotten out. I've seen too many examples where leaders seek to ignore it, thinking oh, it'll go away by itself. But the damage, I think this is where you and I probably are quite aligned here, that can be done by a rumour that's out of control. It can, can be incredible. So part of my brand, and we're talking about rumours and trimmers, 
but I'm actually talking about any conversation. So I often refer to the 24-hour rule. It's a little genism. So what that 24-hour rule is, is it's just so important because it dispels things or a conversation that may not have gone so well, or it helps to restore or rectify a conversation that didn't go well. So you and I today, Andrew, we're having a conversation and I may say something that resonates with you and it actually might not be in a positive light. So you leave the meeting, and particularly if you're someone that works with me, that can actually change the dynamic very quickly if it's not dealt with fast. So the 24-hour rule is what I advocate is if you and I have a conversation, something resonates with you in not a positive light, come back to me. And I say 24 hours colloquially, but it's really important because if you go home, I always say to everyone, I actually don't pay you enough to have a knot in your stomach. So if there is a knot in your stomach, we need to iron it out a bit like a crinkle. And the way to do that is to say, Jen, remember yesterday you said dot, 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 dot. It might have been like water off a bat duck's back for me. So it may not have resonated with me. Yeah. What that will allow me to do is it will afford me the right to reply, to clarify myself, to correct myself. It may be that because of the choice of language I use, I might need to make amends. Or it may be actually this is the organisational position and this is what we will need to do for whatever reason. So the 24-hour rule, what that does is it's absolutely paramount because I see it allows conversations to be quickly recalled and clarified because we know that that knot in the stomach can actually resonate into, oh, Sunday afternoon, not in the stomach. No, I'm not going to work on Monday. No, I'm going to have some sick leave because that Jen Wilcox, she said dot, dot, dot. Or it starts to affect discretionary effort. Yes. If they do come to work. It's true. Yeah. Or they're speaking to someone else and other people and then it becomes something that it was never intended to be. So it's really important to come back and have the conversation with the person of origin because sometimes that sick leave then manifests into longer term absences from work. Or even worse is that you come back to me in August and go, Jen, you said in July and sadly I will have totally forgotten that point of the conversation. But for you, it's been a burden. It's caused anxiety and stress and everything that we don't want for the great people that work with us. It's, it's such a fundamental, every interaction we have with someone, there's communication, the, uh, the, the trap that we can fall into and an assumption that the other parties uh, understood as well as you have. That 24-hour approach, I recorded another podcast with Stuart Ellis. Yeah, Stuart is the CEO of AFAC and we talked about habits in, in that podcast, and I see this as probably an example, it appears to be a, something that you do quite regularly or, or when needed. Would that be fair to say? Oh, always. Yeah. Yes, certainly. Yeah. And sometimes it's very difficult to have those conversations. The analogy I use, it's like ironing out a crinkle. And ironing out a crinkle in a shirt is far easier than sort of going over a big speed bump or, or, or it becomes a mountain like by by way of analogy it becomes too big to yeah, hurdle yeah. over the the image i'm thinking i'm, I'm yeah. seeing in my mind right now as you talk is the expression of a, a knot in a rope and when there's two people pulling on it yes then it gets tighter and tighter yes and more difficult to remove mm, and unravel and, and, and i think what you're saying is when there's that crinkle the intention is to remove it as soon as possible through further communication checking understanding. What other things are important to you around a brand? It's the simple and small gestures that can have the biggest impact. So the moment I drive through the, the sort of boom gates, the QFES, 
there's people who I'm working with or seeing every day that aren't necessarily my colleagues. So it might be good morning to Julian away from my car. He's the groundsman. He's the one that is making the beautification of our workplace where they've got those beautiful hanging plants and I love to stop and talk about his manicured lawn and, geez, Julian, I'm off to a meeting, but I'd really prefer to have a picnic <laughs> on your lawn because it is fabulous. Can you come to my place? And what a difference that makes to that person. Yes. Yeah. And we always talk about the man on the moon analogy, or, you know, the man on the moon where there was the cleaner and someone asked what they were doing and yep. he said, I'm putting a man on the moon. moon. Yeah. So I like to acknowledge Everyone, and I'm not saying we have to stop and talk about our brothers, mothers, sisters yeah. to everyone, but it is just the acknowledgement. Hop out of your car, the first person you see is Romano, the handyman, or you see the, the people from facilities, Richie or, or Mark or Loretta or Lisa, and then you walk through security and then you've got Mark there or Charlie or, or yeah, you know, Alicia. They're, yeah. they're all there. Jeannie, I was just talking to Jeannie now. I've just learned all about Jeannie from the lift to her coming to, into security. I yeah. know pretty much what's happening. I truly believe, I truly like to serve others. And if my every interaction with people, irrespective of level or tenure or, or their role, can just put them in a better place before I saw them, then isn't that just a great thing? And the flow and effect in a positive way is when you have to have a difficult moment, a difficult situation with individuals that you've spent time relating to, how do you think, does it play in a positive? Does it value add when you've got to have a tough moment? All these genisms are coming out. So my other favourite genism is we talk about one of our values for the organisation is trust. Trust just doesn't happen. So I advocate to my colleagues that you need to have connectivity and that connectivity needs to be frequent. And the connectivity and the frequency creates trust. But if, if you're not interacting frequently, then it's very hard to have the difficult conversations. Yeah. So by virtue of that trust, then when you're having a difficult conversation, the person who you're communicating with won't necessarily divert to being on the defence because they'll know what you're trying to impart with them comes from a, a, a genuine uh, point of ultimately trying to support them and assist them. And I guess it's the comms that sit around that yeah, as well. It does. And certainly we all work hard on trying to give ourselves the best opportunity for success when we have to deal with other other matters and I you know I concur it's it's the, the times we've spent with people well before that event will start to play there's a theory within negotiation which talks about how if you've had a negotiation with someone and you've haven't been true or haven't been honest or you know or in some cases you've you know really gone out of, out of your way to, to, to knock them around. The next time you're negotiating with that person, they're not thinking about the current negotiation. No. The previous negotiation lives on. And I think it, that same sort of thinking about the foundations that you've actually built previous will, will come back. Mm -hmm. and, and I've seen examples of where there are moments when you forget how whether you've helped someone, not maybe even directly, maybe you've helped by putting them in contact with someone or open a door somehow. People remember this. And for me, it goes to the very simple notion that people by nature don't always remember what happened, but they remember how they were treated. Yes. During the, during, yes. The, during the moment. And, and I, I believe that. 
and I think I know personally every morning I wake up and when I look in the mirror I think how can I do what I do better I'm unequivocally aware that there is plenty of room for refinement something that I work towards every day is the what's in it for me but for the person who I'm speaking with yeah so irrespective if I'm communicating with an introvert or an extrovert or, or whatever the case is I always think how can I bring out the best person who I'm communicating with so in strategic services which is the directorate that I lead I created a a logo so if I can visually share that with you it's actually two arms together but in a sailor's grip yeah and I've asked by way of analogy Which, and that's for the listeners that that's like on the fore, that the hands grasp on the forehand yes. above the wrist exactly yeah. and by way of analogy and I've, I've got it as a sort of a vision picture as well for the team is that I want them to visualize that sailors grip with anyone that they're communicating with and I guess the language that sits around that visual is that you're guiding the person through your conversation which what the sailors group does it guides people onto the boat you're uplifting them you're empowering them creates trust it creates support so I say in all our verbal interactions if you can visualize the sailors grip and those sort of values that sit around there then certainly that's going to put the person in a, in a better position when the conversation uh, ends. And the other, other discussion I often have is we all come to work, we all try to do the best we can, but everyone has their own bag of rocks. Now, the bag of rocks is your personal life, what's in your professional life, and we've all got a different bag of rocks. Some of us have a bag of rocks which is far heavier than others, and some of us have tools and techniques to 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 manage the bag of rocks. But every day, in every way, all of us are trying to remove a rock from our bag. So life is a little easier, it's a little bit lighter, and it's a bit easier to manage. But what I ask for my colleagues is when you're at a forum, the person on your left, the person on your right, the person before you, you have no idea what's in their bag of rocks. So your conversation, even though there may be no malintent, it may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that's why we all need to be hyper-diligent with how we interact and communicate. There's a little story which, just listening to you about the, the rocks in the bag of the bag of rocks, there's a story about a person was on a train and they're watching a, um, a father with some kids and the kids are running right around the train. You know, they're, they're hanging off and they're, they're bumping the people and, and the per this other person goes, oh, they should he should have his kids under control. And so that's that's their perspective, judgment. They should have the kids under control. And so something said, and, and then next minute the, the father's um, uh, expressing how they've just lost their mother. And the tough moment that comes yeah. with that, and it puts a different lens on what's playing out that very moment. And we all fall in the trap of thinking we know what's happening, but we don't. A lot of time we don't. And it takes us to be, it, ta it requires a couple of things. It requires us to hold judgment. For a bit and that's a tough thing for a human being is to hold judgment when you think you know all the facts you think you know enough to make a judgment and i do say to people just just hold hold off you know, in my previous uh, discussion with Stuart alice we, we talked about seeking first to understand before being understood which is a, uh, a stephen covey expression and i try to stay true to that it's not always easy uh, particularly when you've got your own biases mind and, and your own biases and yeah. your own ego sometimes pushing you down that road, uh, you know, wanting you to take action. And, and I think, you know, going back to the point of this discussion, which is about brand, these actions we take and when we get it really wrong can affect our brand. So just to that point, Jen, 
there'll be people who uh, who are listening to this and will be asking the question, well, how do I improve my brand? How do I, if I've made some mistakes if, and really you know, dumb mistakes, whether be, whether how I've treated people, how I've managed something, how I've reacted to bad news, which is a whole thing in itself, what would you say to someone, what things can they do to improve their brand right now from, from this moment forward? Probably take on the learnings from Bonds. They've done very well, haven't they? <laughs> I think, you know, you can imagine that brand yep. was almost eradicated. Yep. And they just flipped their business model. So they had to, I guess, be very open-minded. They had to take on board probably some feedback they didn't want to hear. Yep. But if you do that with your trusted source, the person that you're connecting with frequently, then they hopefully can be impartial in their impartial uh, in their feedback to you. So I, I would advocate that you find a trusted source, someone who you can generally ask to be honest in in helping you to, to lift your brand. So are you saying that the first stage to refreshing and improving your brand is to venture down that horrible road called self-reflection yes. or self self-awareness self-awareness i agree your notion of having a trusted person and that could be a mentor it could be a friend mm. could be a family mm. member who can help you with that do you think that people can do better with self-awareness generally leaders oh i do there's a gentleman ken wright and he talks about eq2 he's got a four minute animated clip on youtube W-R-I-G-H-T, Ken Wright. And he talks about EQ2, and that is the power of engagement, rather than do it alone, with emotional intelligence. And we talk about Albert Einstein, and from a financial perspective, he talks about compound interest as being the eighth wonder of the world. Well, in a corporate environment, in a personal environment, for me, that is the eighth wonder of the world. Because if you're engaging people, but you are acutely aware of of emotional intelligence and how to engage, that can really just, I guess, help to translate into some really good successes with those relationships that you have. I would agree with that. Jim, we're going to move into the five questions that are the standard questions that I ask uh, each podcast. And certainly you, you will find that the, the the way you answer these questions are probably going to align to the topic that we have today, or they might, or they might, they may not. It doesn't matter. Can I make a confession? I may have cheated and asked for these five questions in advance yeah, and, may and listened to some and, other podcasts. And may I be honest in saying I've had other people that I've re- um, interviewed <laughs> who have done the same. So uh, you're not you're not on your own. So the, the first question is, what do you wish you really understood? I have to say these questions were really good and some were harder to to really find an answer than others. But this one, it just dawned on me instantly. For me, it's psychology and business. Often when I'm reading CVs, I see colleagues who have done have a psychology background and I think, goodness, what a fascinating field. I would truly like to understand the psychological principles because what that would do, it would help me prepare for conversations. It would assist me with challenging interactions and, you know, they're ever present. And I guess working with group dynamics, that one in particular, because sometimes when I'm not present and there is a group dynamic, which has depleted and unraveled just to know how to restore that situation which has gotten to a point I shouldn't say no return but it's very difficult if I had that psychological insight then perhaps that would inform me to better help them reach 
get the light, you know, yeah, light at the end of the I, tunnel. I hear that you've got a desire to learn more, but I know that you've been active in trying to bolster. And both you and I are big fans of a gentleman called Michael Grinder, who is very much about trying to understand how those interactions play out and what tools and approaches you can use. So, And we could talk about uh, Michael a lot more. The next question is, what do you wish that other people understood about you? Funny enough is that I usually understand both sides of the story. So by way of example, even when my husband and I disagree, it's really frustrating because innately I actually understand his perspective. <laughs> and so that's not very convenient when I want to <laughs> when I want to have my way. But it truly is the truth. Uh, and so likewise at work, I can comprehend the various perspectives that are put forward, especially when there's different points of view being mooted. And I guess when you've got those differing differing schools of thought round table, I find it very easy to uh, understand those. I guess this can be a positive, it can also be a negative. But, you know, again, I always try and adopt that, what's in it for me, but for them, so I can truly understand and appreciate the context that the other person is trying to put forward. Yeah, so that's good. I guess the other one is, you know, smiley Jen, people always say I'm nice. You know I don't like it when people say I'm nice. <laughs> makes me sad because <laughs> for me it's not about being nice. It's about treating people with respect and kindness. That is my that is my overarching sort of intent. And I guess what my smile is, it comes back to the hospitality piece. It's actually in my DNA. And uh, people often confuse my kindness as a weakness you often hear female ladies refer oh, look, female I, that, uh, female leaders crazy. refer to that. Drives me crazy when people do that. <laughs> and for me, it's I'm firm and I'm fair. That is my approach. Yeah. And I and I think you know, over years in the leadership role, that's becoming more prevalent. But you know, perceptions are perceptions. It, it is perceptions, and I think as we move up into more senior roles, particularly executive leadership roles, there's some challenges that are associated with that because I believe that there's an expectation that as you go up more senior that you become a little bit harder and colder and because that's tradition some mm. way in mm. the old school leadership it's whereas all the teachings and all the research says you got to go the other way and you know both you and I I think try to be practitioners of the you know hard on the issue soft on the people approach to it and I think if there's one message I want to say to people listening to this, there's ways you can be that where you, you can still deal with the matter as it needs to be dealt with, but stay true to the notion that you're dealing with human beings. Excellent. Thank you. The next question is, what type of leader do you prefer? This was pretty easy for me because I've lied, uh, made a lot of mistakes in my time. I guess it's a leader who trusts me. There's nothing more important than that. And for them to know that my overarching goal every day is to protect them and to support them in, in what they're trying to do for the organisation. However, we are humans and we're not robots. With humans, we make mistakes. And certainly I can say that I respect a leader who understands that mistakes happen. And personally, I always uh, take you know, take responsibility and, and own it. And I've I had an example. I think you had a question, what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? And there, um, I guess my answer to that would actually feed into 
why I take accountability when I make mistakes. And to be quite honest, there's two previous commissioners and I've had to reach out to them on different occasions with a particular predicament that transpired. Yeah. But my, my intent was to very quickly escalate it to their attention so it didn't transpire into something it should never had. And on those times, they were incredibly magnanimous. And in fact, I found when I presented what I thought was a predicament that could not be uh, resolved, because they knew about it, it actually diluted the intensity of the problem. And they're like, Jen, that's fine. It's all good. But they knew about it. Had they not been aware of the situation and they received some information offhand, then it could have been a very different moment. Yeah, leaders don't like to be surprised. Yes. And to a point where uh, there's an expression about how a leader would prefer to be beaten than be surprised. And that, that the whole context of that is that by being informed so not to be surprised, they have a chance to try to steer it from there or fix it from there or do what's got to be done. Those moments where you think you're about to drop a bombshell and it turns out that it's accepted much yeah. different. What's on top of that, which resonates me even with me even more, is that a leader who can draw a line in the sand, your mistake was your mistake, and moving forward, they interact with you like that mistake had never happened because they know you will go above and beyond to ensure yeah. that no more mistakes are made. And I certainly try and do that. I've got colleagues, if there are mistakes that are made, I will take it on my shoulders yep. because I want to present, I want to represent them. But furthermore, ensure that I'm not going to hold any grudges because we're all just trying to do the best we can every day with what we've got. The idea of sharing the wins and sharing mm. the losses within a team, uh, I think speaks to that notion of that people are going to make mistakes. I am so accepting of humans making mistakes that it allows me to move past it quickly. Now, if we have people who are making multiple mistakes, the same type of mistake, then we have to take steps as leaders but but certainly I think everyone should be allowed the opportunity to make a mistake because we're, all the literature is out there about that, that's why people learn that's why organizations evolve that if you're looking for that perfect place where no one makes a mistake it, it doesn't exist. There was a matter that took place the other day and a mistake was made and I had my firm but fair um, I guess interaction regarding that and I think the next few times when the person saw me they were a little bit on edge just wondering but all of a sudden they could see, oh, it's like I'd totally forgotten what had happened because forward, it's about forward-facing. It's not continuing yeah. to, to slip back into the, the past deviations. Yes. Number four, in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself? I, I love, the reason I love age is because with it you get wisdom and there cannot be enough said about dear old wisdom. So... I never fear a birthday because that 12 months, I've just learned more, I understand more, and I think it's just having the confidence. But it's hard to have, well, actually, I find young people really quite incredibly confident, to be quite frank. But I know for me, you know, life experiences either make you an incredibly confident person or not. But So what are you saying? Are you saying that, that the advice to a, a younger leader who's, who's emerging would be to embrace those moments I just when there's a tough moment? Yeah, but just to, you know, when you're young, you want, you, you have ideas and aspirations, but there's that little voice 
you know, that says, no, 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 it's too early or you're too young or you're just not ready. If we go right back to my inception and the organisation, how that transpired by way of working with the organisation in a voluntary capacity in France was I just felt this raw confidence and I initiated contact with the general manager of the games and I said, uh, do you have any interpreters going with the Australian delegation to France? And and he said, no. And I said, how many have you got? He said, 62. I said, well, you'll need an interpreter. The French do not speak English back in the day. Yeah. A lot of them do more now. But in any case, so if you feel confident and you feel really genuine about something, give it a go. Because for me, that voluntary, uh, I guess, arrangement transpired into a lifelong career. So Brilliant. different positives. Brilliant. The last question talks about the, the role that we have as uh, leaders to deliver, deliver bad news. Ah, yes. And it's interesting watching how different generations approach it. What's been your experience? How do you do it? What shouldn't you do? How do you prepare? Mm. What's your thoughts? Well, certainly not by text message. Yeah. I know that might be more of a contemporary <laughs> approach, but I'm a bit old school in that regard. You know, you and I talk a lot about trust coming on foot and leaves on horseback. Yeah, love and that expression. That it's yeah. so true. And I've already talked about my genism with connectivity it being frequent to, to have the trust, but that needs to be saturated in good listening because delivering bad news is one thing, but you actually need to give that person the right to reply because you might have the wrong context of, of whatever the particular situation is. And sometimes time is not always on our side, so we might have to deliver bad news, but our time might be very finite. But there's only 15 minutes in your diary to do it. Yes, and, and that, <laughs> yeah, that's not that's ideal, tough. is it? So, um, by the way, when you deliver bad news, don't do what I did a long time ago. See, you only have to make the mistake once when I had to announce to someone that they'd not been successful in a job. Now, when I made the call, I said, how are you? They're great, Jen, excellent. And then I had to follow up with, oh, by the way, you don't have the job. So I only did that once. So now it's, have you got a few minutes? Is now a good opportunity to talk with you? Yeah, so it's about framing. It's about it's about structuring the, the engagement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, it just, it's a little bit of practice, really. But, but you, And you want to leave them with their dignity. dignity. That, for me, is central. Yep, absolutely paramount, absolutely paramount. So honesty is the best policy, being succinct, I guess. Ensuring the context is this is not a personal decision. It might be an organisational arrangement. It's about, you know, the values of the organisation that we're trying to adhere. Not personal, it's professional. That's one I use a lot. But also, and as I talk about the empathy, so it's, it's, it's always listening, always listening. Excellent. That brings us to the end. And I want to go, I want to now... Uh, read a, a quote from Dave Buck, who's a renowned business coach. So the, the quote from Dave Buck is that your brand is a gateway to your true work. You know you are here to do something, to create something or help others in some way. The question is, how can you set up your life and work so that you can do it? The answer lies in your brand. When you create a compelling brand, you attract people who want the promise of your brand, which you deliver. I think that encompasses what you've just articulated, Jen. It's and very generous. Sitting here listening to you and, and yes, listeners, I do have some quotes in front of me when I do this. But that for me really encapsulates you know, what, what we just covered. Jen, your, your dedication to the art of leadership I really admire. And, and I say that particularly because you are quite willing to express the lessons you've learned 
at times when it hasn't gone too well, because that's what people want to understand. They, they don't want stories of leaders who have conquered everything and done it without ever making a mistake, because that, that world doesn't exist. What's your final comment to an emerging leader about what they can do about their brand? It's being consistent. Consistency yeah. is everything. But I guess we see people who are consistent in, in the wrong way. Yeah. So you've got to be true to yourself, but you've got to, you've got to surround yourself with great people. So I guess I say to my eight-year-old, be with friends who bring out the best in you. So I would say for my colleagues, our colleagues, really attach yourself with other colleagues who bring out the best in you. If they've got a great brand, if they're doing remarkable work, would it not be good to just, uh, I guess, invest in those learnings to actually help you soar as well? Jen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.